Well, grace and peace to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're so glad that you're here and, and with us today. I uh, want, want to welcome you and, and thank you for being here. Uh, a couple things before we get into the sermon this morning. Remember that tomorrow morning we'll be serving at, at a, Amen uh, Food Pantry. So if you can be there at 830, that would be great. We had a wonderful turnout last time and we served a lot of people and just a, a great, great ministry. And, and we're thankful to be a part of that. Also, I, I know most of you aren't here throughout the week, and so you don't know what's going on, but we have this card here, and I'll put it in the back um, after services. But on Friday, we hosted a group of bicyclers, and they are bicycling across the nation. We hosted this group multiple times, and they're doing this to raise money for, for MS, and it's just wonderful that we can open our building and show them hospitality, and they're always grateful for that. Well, we usually, I, I usually do series, and uh, for the next couple weeks, we're going to do not series. We're going to just do one-offs and um, uh, kind of go back to that. But this one, this morning's a, a little bit personal. I, I know I've already cried once in a sermon this year. I'm going to try to not do that twice, um, but, but if I do, just give me a moment. Uh, this, is, this is my grandfather. He was born on July 5th, 1929 in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. And uh, when he was born, his mother abandoned him. And so he spent the first five years of his life in an orphanage near Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when he was five years old, his grandmother went up to that orphanage and and she got him and, and she took him home. And she was the one who raised him, even though both of his parents were still alive. Uh, I, I remember meeting my great-grandfather when I was young, and he had this indention in his head, and he would invite people to fill it, and the indention was from a bullet wound. Uh, he was caught cheating in a poker game one night, and he was shot in the head, and he, uh, he lived, and he survived that, and he would invite everybody to, to, to fill the wound on his head, and that was, that was my great-grandfather, so my grandfather's dad. My grandfather graduated high school and enlisted in the military and went to fight in Korea, that forgotten war. And he never boasted about it, um, never made a big deal about it. Uh, but from him, I learned that war is a terrible thing. I could say a lot more about that, but that's all I'll say. And after returning home, he met my grandmother and he became a Christian. Uh, up until that point, he wasn't. But that was his life. And he was the exact opposite of his own parents. His parents had abandoned him. They had devoted their lives to drinking and gambling and all that stuff. But my grandfather was a literal saint. Uh, he, he was fully devoted to Christ. He wanted to talk about Jesus and, and the Bible all the time. He'd want to talk about this with his friends even though they wanted to talk about other things. And I was their first grandchild. And when I came along, my grandfather, he was already an elder in the church. And so I was raised in the church because that was my grandfather's life and that was my family's life. And so we were there every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, gospel meetings, BBS, work day, what, whatever the church was doing, whatever was happening at the church, we were there and the church was our family. 
And my grandfather was a student of the Bible. He, you would go to his house and, and you would walk in and the dining room was there and it would just be covered with books and with papers. And you, and you would see these stacks of papers with, with handwritten notes uh, scribbled on them. And, and he knew his Bible. And it wasn't just a, a mental exercise for him. This is something that, that he lived out and he prayed the most heartfelt prayers and he had a deep, meaningful relationship with God. As he got older, we began to notice changes. And he began to forget things that he should have known. And so his short-term memory was deteriorating. And as it um, progressed, you know, things got worse. And my, and my grandfather was a postal worker for many years, and so he was used to going out and just walking the streets. And he would go for a walk, and he wouldn't come back. He wouldn't know where he was. And we would sometimes find him in a different neighborhood. Now, he, he never forgot his loved ones, um, but he forgot enough that he was out of touch with reality. And my grandfather suffered from dementia, as many people do. In fact, 6.5 million people in America are, are living with Alzheimer's or dementia. One in three seniors will die with Alzheimer's or dementia. And so this touches the lives of almost everyone. Near, near, nearly all of us probably have had a family member or friend or someone that we've known with dementia. And, and it's a terrible, terrible disease. It can, it can lead to depression and anxiety for the person who, who realizes that their memory is, is just slipping away. And it's even often more difficult on spouses and on caregivers because they have to deal with their loved one maybe not knowing who they are they have to care for someone who may become easily frustrated and exhibit childlike tendencies it is mentally draining and for many there is little or no relief and so why is this something that that we need to talk about on a Sunday morning? Well, there are multiple reasons why. Uh, ever since Rene Descartes, that famous philosopher, famously said, I think, therefore I am, we in the West have seen ourselves as thinking things. It is what we think that makes us who we are. And so our identity in the West is wrapped up in what we think and what we believe, all up here in the mind. We exist because we think. Um, so what happens when all of that goes away? Are we still a person? Do we still have value? Mary L. Vandenberg writes this, Dementia and its accompanying symptoms come with unique cultural and societal challenges. Not the least of which is convincing Western culture that persons with dementia have inherent worth. Persons with dementia do not tick any of the cultural boxes that would grant them power or even personhood. They are often old, they are weak, they are dependent. Western culture values productivity, independence, self-sufficiency, and power. 
dementia represents the loss of these key cultural values and therefore presents a fundamental threat to what is most important to us. And so dementia presents an ethical dilemma to people living in a modern secular culture. What constitutes a person? How should we see and how should we care for such persons? And we have witnessed similar scenarios play out in our times when people begin to challenge the personhood of a baby in the womb, it then becomes okay to kill that child. And there are many people who reason this way. There are people in other modern secular cultures who reason that when a person reaches a certain age and they begin to lose their mental capabilities, it's okay to kill them. And so euthanasia is legal in some countries. And so I would suggest to you how we define a person matters. And what we value in persons and how we ascribe worth to them, it matters. Our, our culture values productivity and independence, but people with dementia, they don't check any of those boxes. And so how are we to see them if they are not a productive member of society? When we come to the Bible, when we come to Scripture, it defines people differently than how our culture defines them. Scripture says that every individual is created in the image of God, and therefore every person, every human being has worth. And our worth is not dependent on our gender or our race or our status in society or even our mental capacity. And so not only do we all have this inherent worth because we are image bearers of God, but we're also taught in Scripture to value weakness. The world values power and strength, but we're to value weakness. And so we read, for instance, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Or there's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're told specifically how we are to view and treat those who seem, that is, by worldly standards, to be weaker. And so we read in this passage, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body, that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body, it's talking about the body of Christ here, the church, that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That's countercultural. It was in Paul's day, it is in our day. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker 
are indispensable. That should be framed and hung in every church building there is. We do not see as the world sees. We do not retire members of a certain age. We do not ignore children who may seem to have little or nothing to offer. We do not usher people who have lost their mental capabilities out the door. And more than this, we're told here in this passage that we need these individuals. Jesus tells us that we're all to become like little children. Not that we're sinless, but that we're humble. Marielle Vandenberg again explains why people with dementia are important members of the church community and why we need them in worship. She writes, to eliminate the person with dementia from our worship diminishes the glory of weakness that God showed us in the cross and in some way also made present to us through these people. The cultural story of independence, self-sufficiency, and self-creation is a myth. We are neither independent nor self-sufficient. Our very lives are completely dependent on the mercy of God. And sitting next to someone with dementia reminds us of this and opens all of us to what John Swinton calls the prophetic witness of weakness. And so sitting next to the person with dementia may be a more important word than anything I say on Sunday morning. We live in this culture that values independence and self-sufficiency. We see ourselves as independent and self-sufficient. And the person with dementia reminds us that it's all a lie. And that we are dependent on God. And without God, we are nothing. And we're also dependent on the community of believers. Without the church, we are lost. And this is a message that we need to hear over and over again. You know, with the exception of the very beginning of the story of Scripture... The lifespan of people in biblical times was not very long. And so we may think that because of this, that that Scripture does not have much to say about um, this this phenomenon that has become so prevalent as as human lifespans have, have been extended. But the truth is there is wisdom in Scripture for all things of life if we're just willing to look. And the book of Leviticus is a book that in many ways seems foreign to us because it was written long ago and it's set in a context that is quite different from our own. And, and when we come to this book of the Bible, we often try and understand it and explain it through our modern notions of health and science. And so we read those laws concerning skin diseases And we think that this shows God's wisdom concerning hygiene and preventing the spread of illnesses. And and there's some truth to that. I don't want to negate that aspect of it. But is that all there is to those passages? Ancient people were more apt to read those passages in Leviticus 
theologically. And so they would not see, or, or they would see that, that not only is God keeping them safe, but he's also sending them a message through these laws. And so let's think about this aspect of Leviticus. Let's think about skin diseases. And, and what was the message concerning um, skin diseases in Leviticus? It was that this disease that these people had was a living death, and therefore they belonged outside the camp. And so death was introduced by sin. Death was not a part of God's original creation. Death is the enemy. Jacob Milgram, um, probably the greatest scholar in the book of Leviticus, writes, the main place for understanding the place of serot, that is skin diseases, in the impurity system is the fact that it is an aspect of death. Its bearers treated like a corpse. And so skin diseases in ancient times reminded people of the reality of death. Now, it's not a stretch to see some similarities in how skin diseases are described in Leviticus and in Scripture and dementia. Family members who have had loved ones with dementia often describe experiencing two deaths. And so there's the, the death of, of losing your loved one as you know them. There's the death of them forgetting who you are and the death of all the, the memories that you shared with them. And then there is actual death. And so dementia, like those skin diseases, is a, is a living death. It's something that God never intended. It is a result of the fall. Now, what we must be careful of is not to treat people with dementia as people with skin diseases were treated in ancient times. And there is a temptation to do this because our modern world does not want to be reminded of death. In a secular world, there is no life beyond death, and so death and any talk of it is avoided at all costs. And people don't want to be in the presence of someone who reminds them of their own mortality. When dealing with dementia, we need to remember how Jesus approached those with skin diseases and what he did for them. Jesus touched them. Jesus healed them. Jesus made them clean. Jesus was victorious over death. He conquered death. And we are followers of Jesus who place our hope in resurrection. And so we do not have to fear death or those who are dying because we follow a risen Savior. We do not put people with dementia outside the camp. We do not say to them, there is no place here for you. We do not avoid them or pretend that they do not exist. We welcome them. We embrace them. We accept them as an important part of who we are as the body of Christ. And so we, we you know, acknowledge that they are dealing with the fallenness of the world as we all are. But we also acknowledge 
that Jesus has overcome the world and that he has overcome death and there is victory in Jesus. And so we need to remember that um, death, those of us who face it and those live, uh, living with a living death, that, that death does not have the final word. And, and Jesus is greater than death. And so to lose our memory is a frightening thing. You know, we spend years and years learning and developing skills. We amass knowledge through reading and, and learning and, and in other ways. And we store up memories, memories of people we love, memories of experiences that we've had. And so what happens when our mental capacity begins to fade? Does Scripture have anything to say about this? And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. The God we serve is the God who remembers. And so if, if you read throughout Scripture, just begin in Genesis and work your way all the way through it, you'll see that God remembers individuals. He remembers Abraham, and he remembers Rachel, and he remembers others. God remembers his covenant. He remembers that, that covenant that he made with Noah, and we still have a sign of his remembrance to this day. He even remembers his people um, when they do not do as they should. And so we see this in a passage like Psalm 106, verses 40 through 45, which says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage, and he gave them into the hands of the nations, so that those who hated them ruled over them. And their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. And many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress, and when he heard their cry, for their sake, he remembered. He remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And so what about those who can no longer remember? What about our friends and loved ones who suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia? When they can no longer remember, God remembers for them. Just as he has done for people of faith for years and years. When they can no longer remember, God remembers the covenant that he has with them. A covenant that they entered into when they were baptized. And so we don't have to worry about the salvation of Christians who lose their mental capabilities because God remembers. We embrace weakness because it presents an opportunity for God to work among us. We embrace weakness because it is a reminder that we are all in need of God. We are not saved because we are special or because we have done something grand. We are saved by the grace and mercy of God. And the more that we lean on God in this lifetime, the better prepared we are for the life to come. Sometimes we as human beings struggle when people we know get dementia. 
you know, they, they don't act as they once acted, and uh, we, we don't share the memories that we once shared, and we don't always know what to say or do. And so sometimes, unintentionally, uh, we treat people with dementia as lepers. We avoid them. We don't speak to them. And again, we're, we're not doing this on purpose. We're, we're just at a loss as to what to do. And so let me offer a word about this. Here, here's what we can do. We can be like God. We can remember. Jesus redeems living death, and, and we're to do our best to imitate this. We don't have the ability to, to heal the person with dementia. But we can be their memory when there's falters. And we can tell stories. And we can talk about times past. And we can remember for them. That's a wonderful thing to do. That's a holy thing to do. And often one of the last things that goes from our memories are the songs that we've sung and the prayers that we've memorized. And so if someone is struggling with dementia, go and sit with them and read the 23rd Psalm and pray the Lord's Prayer and sing some of those old, beloved hymns. And you'll be surprised by what they remember. This is one of the last pictures that um, I took with my grandfather. And less than a year later, I would be traveling to Oklahoma to preach his funeral. And much of his memory was gone at this moment. And you can see the look on my grandmother's face, and I'm sure she's wondering, what is this man going to do next? We were very blessed. And I say this because my grandfather was full of joy until the end. And his joy grew and he became more jovial. And he also never forgot how to pray. Again, he used to pray the most beautiful prayers. And he, he could still do this up until the very end of his life. What we give ourselves to in life matters. My grandfather gave himself to Christ, and he had the joy of Christ, and he had that relationship with his Savior up until the very end. Now, I understand that sometimes Alzheimer's can attack parts of the brain, and people will say and do things that they never would have said or done in their right mind. But for most of us, we grow into what we are giving ourselves to. And so if we're angry all the time, then we're going to grow to be more angry. If we're bitter all the time, we're going to grow to be more bitter. If we're upset or discontent all the time, we're going to grow to be more upset and more discontent, and it's just going to get worse and worse the older we get. But if we give ourselves to Christ... If we follow his ways, if we embrace the, the, the life that he wants us to share in him, then we will become more Christ-like. We will experience the joy of Christ even when our mind begins to fade. And I know this because I've seen it. I've witnessed it. God is good. 
He remembers even when we cannot remember. And we need to cling to this. But we also need to consider what it is we're giving ourselves to. Is it Christ and his ways or is it something else? Because it matters. It really, really does. As for me, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity to be in your presence. May we just pause for a moment and acknowledge your presence here and acknowledge that we are nothing without you. That we are dependent upon you. We cannot trust in our own strength or our own power or our own capabilities. We can only trust in you. Father, I know that there's probably some here this morning who are dealing with family or friends who have dementia. And I, I pray I pray that you'll be with them and be with those caretakers who are caring for these individuals. And I just pray for peace. May you grant them peace. We're so thankful that we serve the God who remembers. And Father, I pray that we would acknowledge this, that we would come to rely more and more on you, and that we would consider what it is we're giving ourselves to. We're so grateful for Jesus who came and showed us abundant life. May we embrace that life and follow in his ways. We pray this in his name. Amen.